Good morning, dear friends. Welcome to our Good Friday online service. It is such a blessing and a privilege to be able to share this weekend with you. You know, all across the world today, in the midst of what is taking place with coronavirus, a third of the world experiencing lockdown, we are celebrating together with the entire world what Jesus did on this weekend thousands of years ago. You know that when Jesus hung on that cross on Good Friday, which we celebrate and call Good Friday, that he did something remarkable that brings encouragement and comfort to every person, no matter what they are going through, no matter what you have experienced, no matter where you are today, whether you are locked down alone or with family or with friends, no matter what suffering you may be going through, I believe God has a word of encouragement for you. And I'm going to trust that you are deeply encouraged and that his presence will fill your home, that his revelation will fill your heart as we share together around what Jesus did on this day 2,000 years ago. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for every person that is watching right now. Would you fill their homes, fill their hearts, every place that they are? I ask that the light of your presence would come. I'm asking my Lord and my God that you would speak to them, that you would show them how deep your love is for them, we remember on this Friday, you became a man. You left your Godhead behind. You died on our behalf so that we could be saved, so that we could be restored into right relationship with you. And we want to thank you for that, Jesus. And I ask my Lord and my God that as we share around your word and the words that you spoke on the cross that day, that you will use those to transform us and to speak to us and change us and cause us to see with a new perspective the way heaven sees, the way heaven thinks in Jesus' name. I want to do something in the 30 minutes that we have together today. And I want to take a look at something that has been done before, but to take a look at the seven statements that Jesus made on the cross. Many of you know they recorded for us in the Gospels that Jesus, as he was hanging on the cross, he said seven things before he died. And I want to look at these seven things because they're actually really relevant. You know, when a person is dying, we will often put a lot of weight on the words that they spoke during those dying moments before they died. This is no different with Jesus. When he hung on that cross, these statements that he made not only meant something very deep for those who were listening, but they carry that revelation throughout the ages. A lot of what Jesus said on the cross, interestingly, was quoting from prophecies that had been made some thousands of years before he was crucified, before he came. One of them was Psalm 22 that David wrote thousands of years before the Messiah and before they even understood what crucifixion could possibly entail. Isaiah 53 is another one. And those are two critical ones that I'm going to be looking at today as we look at these words. And we must remember that when Jesus spoke these, he was hanging on a cross, realizing that the words that he was speaking, referring to Old Testament prophetic writings, would have triggered in the minds of those listening a reminder of what those writings were saying. And they go so much deeper than just the words that maybe you and I would think uh, if someone said them today. And so I'm going to take a look at them. We don't have time to go into a lot of detail with each one, but I believe there's going to be at least one good revelation coming out of each of these statements that will encourage you today. We know that as Jesus was hanging on the cross, 
He got there after being flogged by the Romans, after being beaten with sticks, after having a crown of thorns woven into a nest that was then beaten onto his head. He'd already suffered incredibly greatly by the time he was then nailed to the cross. In nailing someone to a cross, they would nail their feet, they would nail their hands in a position that would make breathing incredibly difficult. Not only was it so difficult for Jesus to breathe, you can imagine the cost of being able to speak out in such a way that others could hear him. And every statement he made, he made in great pain and in great agony and a great cost to himself. But as he hung there, having been reviled by those he'd reached out to, the Jewish community, reviled and crucified by those who were the religious ones who were meant to demonstrate the heart of God, handed over to the Romans to be persecuted and tortured in the most horrific way. What was the first thing Jesus said? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Wow. One of the primary purposes of the cross was to bring forgiveness. Man's sin separated us from God. Man's sin separated us from our creator who always wanted to be in a relationship with us. He's always wanted intimacy with us. And our sins separated us from him. That's why Jesus had to pay such a high price on the cross. He had to pay the price for our sin so that we no longer would have to be separated from God. So we could come back into intimacy with him. And the only way that's possible is if our sins could be forgiven. So right there on the cross, the very instrument that was going to bring forgiveness for all humanity, for every single person who would believe in Jesus and the work that he did on the cross. The first thing Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. You know, Jesus had before this taught in Matthew 5 verse 44. He said, Love your enemies and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. He's going through this being used and abused and persecuted. And he had taught before in a place of peace, in a place of no suffering. What he was now demonstrating to show his disciples in the world what it looks like. And in doing so, he fulfilled the prophetic word that Isaiah 53 said. Isaiah 53, starting verse 12 says, He poured out his life unto death. He was numbered amongst transgressors, the sinners. He had transgressors and criminals on either side of him. He bore the sin of many. And in the midst of this, Isaiah 53, and he made intercession for them who transgressed. So right here, Jesus is praying and interceding. God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's releasing forgiveness for those around him. And he's releasing forgiveness for those who would embrace the work of the cross. John, who was in fact the only disciple who had the courage and the bravery to go and be with Jesus at the crucifixion, to stand with him right there at the cost of possibly his own life. He was the only disciple there. And he writes later on in his first book of John, 1 verse 9, it says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Because of the work of the cross. And let me say this about the cross, friends. We all know that the cross is not just a vertical bar. It's not just about God forgiving man. But there's a horizontal bar as well. That means that everything Jesus did was not just to restore us to him, God and man. But also to restore man to man. Just as much as forgiveness from the cross is God first releasing forgiveness to us. It's not complete until we release forgiveness to others. Haley Wilkerson says this, the right response 
to forgiveness from God is to not just receive it, but repeat it. Forgiveness must not just be received, it must be repeated. Stephen, even in the similar circumstances, the first Christian to be martyred while he was being stoned, he used these very words of Jesus and he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. He had received the forgiveness. He had seen what Jesus did on the cross and he repeated that. Friends, don't wait until you're dying to release forgiveness. In Matthew, Jesus said, if you forgive people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others the sins that they commit against you, your father cannot forgive your sins. As you come before the cross today, as you embrace this forgiveness of Jesus, he gives you the grace to forgive others too. And before we move on to the next statement, I want to ask you, who do you need to forgive today? What unforgiveness do you hold in your heart that is causing you pain and torment? Forgiveness may be costly, but unforgiveness is even more costly. Holy Spirit, would you speak to every life, every person watching this? Who is it that you want them to forgive now? Give them the grace. Give them the grace to forgive others and release them just as you forgave us and released us. Amen. Now, the second statement I mentioned already, Jesus, we all know he was crucified between two other criminals. And one of those criminals, well, he took the time to just revile Jesus and reject Jesus. And the other criminal, it says that while the other was blaspheming Jesus, the other criminal says this. Don't you fear God? Speaking to the other criminal. You are under the same condemnation and indeed justly. We receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. Then he turned to Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What did Jesus say to him? Today, yes, today, you will be with me in paradise. Wow. You know, this is, it's kind of these two uh, criminals on either side of Jesus represent mankind in a number of ways but just as mankind we all deserve death we're all dying these two deserved what they got they deserve to die but it also represents humanity's choices that even though we are all dying romans three twenty three says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of god we, we we've all sinned we all fall short of his glory we we all can't make it but here's good news this one who says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me, not if you come into your kingdom, when you come into your kingdom, he embraces who Jesus was, who Jesus said he was. And it goes on in Romans 23 and says this, but we can be justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. Not just that sinner hanging on the cross next to Jesus, but these words are said right to you and me as well. You embrace who I am. You receive this redemption that came by Christ Jesus, that sacrifice of his atonement. Every one of you can be saved. Verse 25 of Romans 3, because God gave Jesus Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. That means a covering for our sin by the shedding of his blood that we can receive it by faith. Friends, it's no longer up to Jesus. He's done it. He's paved the way for us. He's made the way open and available. It's your choice whether you're going to ridicule and reject Jesus or repent and receive him. 
that one criminal said, I'm not going to ridicule and reject. I am going to repent and receive. And he received it. This is such a great picture of grace because, listen, this, this criminal, he couldn't get off the cross and go and do all the good works. He couldn't say, oh, I, I, sorry, Jesus, I can't get water baptized. I'm kind of stuck here. You see, Jesus, for Jesus, it was enough that he believed. Romans chapter 10, 13 says this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus took that as sufficient. Won't you call on the name of Jesus today and acknowledge that coming to the cross allows me to be justified? That literally means just as if I'd never sinned. That I can be just like that other thief that was on the cross next to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. And today I embrace the fact that I am saved. I am set free by your grace and I will be in paradise with you. I have no fear of death. And then the third statement, while Jesus is there, his mom was there, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And John, the only one of his 12 disciples that made it to the cross. And Jesus looks at Mary and he says this. Dear woman, here is your son. And he points to John. And to John, he says, here is your mother. What was Jesus doing? He knew that his mother was now losing him as a son. She had already lost her husband, Joseph, quite a long time before. The Bible had already prophesied that she would be pierced to the heart. And this was a piercing. But Jesus spoke to her and said, you and John are not related. But I want to show you that when you come to the cross, the power of spiritual family is there to bring you into relationship with others in such a way that may even be more powerful than your natural family. God made a way for spiritual family on the cross. For no matter who has a mother or a father or a brother or sister or not, whoever has lost others can come into a family that goes beyond what we could experience in the natural. Spiritual family. Psalm 68 verse 5 says this, A father to the fatherless and a protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Here's the good news, friends. Just like Mary she received a family. John received a mother. She received a son. Jesus was saying in spiritual family, I will bring you into like-minded people, like-minded ones who will love with my love and bring brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters your way that you would never be able to even count as you step into the body of Christ. And I encourage you today as you come before the cross, whatever your need is relationally, God has made a way. He can add you to his body and bring spiritual family your way. And I pray that every one of you would experience that spiritual family. It doesn't matter who you've lost. It doesn't matter what you have or don't have. Reach out. Connect with the body of Christ. Connect with your brothers and sisters. Open your life to them. And allow them to cross-pollinate, to comfort, and release Jesus into your life. And then the fourth statement. Well, this is quite a deep one. It tells us that, from noon until three in the afternoon, a great darkness came over the entire land. And that great darkness, where did it come from? In the midst of that darkness, at three in the afternoon, Jesus cries out and he says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I know many have taught that during that time that the sin of the entire world had come upon Jesus. I mean, it became dark and we understand 
the sin and the guilt of mankind, all of the evil that was present in that moment could have brought a great spiritual darkness that led to a natural darkness. Isaiah 53 prophesied this, Isaiah 53, 46. Surely he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. He was pierced for our transgression, prophesying. It's a messianic prophecy about the crucifixion. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his stripes, we are healed. Everything Jesus did on this day. And then Isaiah says this, although we like sheep went astray, each of us went our own way. God laid on Jesus the guilt and sin of us all. There was that laying on of Jesus, this darkness, this guilt, this sin. And there's no question that that would have been something that Jesus had never experienced before. And that was an incredibly, incredibly dark moment for him. As to whether God had to turn his face away from Jesus in that moment fully or not, we won't fully understand. Because Jesus was still part of the Godhead and God could not forsake Jesus as his son. When Jesus quoted this, he was quoting from Psalm 22. And this might give us more insight into what Jesus was saying. Psalm 22 was a detailed prophecy about the sufferings of the Messiah. And when Jesus hangs there on Psalm 22, he starts in verse 6 and it says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Written by David thousands of years before Jesus. Why are you far from saving me in the cries of my anguish? When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Every Jew standing around would have remembered the psalm. They would have grown up with it and would have led them to remember everything else David said. And so Jesus in this cry was leading them to say, firstly, I am the Messiah that was prophesied about in Psalm 22. But secondly, remember what Psalm 22 says after that. He goes on and he says, those who see me mock me. They hurl insults. They shake their heads. They say, he trusted in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him. Listen to what he says. I am surrounded by a pack of villains. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They divide my clothes among them. They cast lots for my garment. The most accurate description of everything that took place at the cross. But it doesn't end there. It ends with victory. Verse 19, but you, Lord, are not far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. I will declare your name to my people. I will praise you for you have not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. You have not hidden your face from me, but you have listened to my cry for help. In other words, Jesus was using this to say, friends, no matter how dark it is, no matter how much suffering you are going through, God sees, God hears, and God always delivers. The psalm ends in victory, but so does the story of the cross. Jesus didn't just die, and that was the end of the story. He died so that you and I could be restored to God, and he rose again so that we can live in fellowship with him every day of our lives. I want to say to you that as you listen to this whole thing that Jesus said, some of you are in many times crying out to God, God, it seems like you've forsaken me. It seems so dark in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of feeling like you've been forsaken. There are two things I want you to remember. Jesus has been there and it always ends in victory. Don't let that darkness speak to you and lie to you. Don't let that sense of feeling forsaken lie to you because just as the psalmist David said, no, he has not despised you. He has not hidden his face from you. He has listened to your cry for help. 
pull into him and he will answer you. And then the next thing Jesus says, because we know crucifixion has an incredible toll on the body. And Jesus cries out, I thirst. Now in the midst of him crying out, I thirst, they they took a sponge, they dipped it in vinegar on the end of a stick and put it on his mouth so that he could have something to drink. This was prophesied again. Psalm 22. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is turned like potsherd and the tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. It was prophesied how he would thirst. It was prophesied in Psalm 69 that not only would he thirst, but they would give me vinegar for my thirst. Isn't it amazing that all of these things were prophesied so long before the crucifixion? But I want to, I want to point out two things here very quickly in, in this statement. Is that firstly, Jesus suffered physically. Not just in thirst. He experienced incredible pain. He experienced incredible rejection. Whether it was emotional pain or physical pain, Jesus has experienced it all. There is nothing you will go through that Jesus has not experienced. He suffered just like you and me. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 2.18 and, and Hebrews 4 that we have a high priest. He's able to relate to what we go through because he suffered just like us. And so Jesus has been through everything you and I could possibly suffer through. And he can comfort us because he understands. And secondly, it wasn't just physical thirst. That is the cry of mankind to have our physical needs met. There is a spiritual thirst that is of far greater consequence. And Jesus, the one who thirsted physically, he said, I am actually the only one that can satisfy your spiritual thirst. In John 4 verse 13, he said this, If you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. But if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Speaking of spiritual drink, whoever drinks of this living water I shall give him will never thirst. The water I give him shall be in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Friends, there are two things I get out of this. That coming to the cross means I can receive comfort from a Savior who has experienced everything physically and emotionally and suffering that we could go through this side of heaven. But at the same time, I can come to him in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of whatever I'm experiencing naturally, and say, I can receive a spiritual living water that can spring up to eternal life and bring a joy in the midst of everything else. Amen. And then let's look at the sixth word. Jesus declared this, and it was a great declaration. And he shouted out, it is finished. It is the Greek word tetelestai. It is finished. What is great again, this was prophesied in Psalm 22. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. It is done. So when Jesus cried, it is finished. Well, there were a whole lot of things that I think were finished at this moment in time. But what had started as a redemptive process, the Bible says that Jesus was crucified before the foundations of the earth. Right before God created, he knew man would fall and he knew that he would put a plan in place. And that redemptive process that started when, when God prophesied over Eve, he said, Eve, the enemy is going to come and there's going to be enmity between your offspring, your offspring being the child and the enemy, Satan. Satan will bruise his heel, but he will crush Satan's head. Here it is. Satan is having his head crushed by Jesus. 
all of the Old Testament, all of the law, all of the things people had to do. It has now been completely fulfilled in Jesus. There is now a New Testament, a new covenant. That doesn't mean we have to do all those things because it is done. Friends, religion will always tell you what you need to do. Christianity is not necessarily what one could classify as a religion. Every religion will tell you what you need to do to be right with God. Christianity says it's all done already. Jesus did it on the cross. You don't need to do it. You just need to receive it. Jesus has done it. From the cross, he shouted out, it is finished. I have done it. All you need to do is receive it. There's another interesting thing about that word. The Greek word for it is done, tetelestai. It literally is a word that was used in commerce that meant the debt has been paid in full. They have found invoices where tetelestai had been written over them to say this invoice has been settled in full. Friends, we all had a debt of sin. There's nothing you can do to pay that debt back. Jesus ransomed us. We were slaves to sin. He paid the full ransom price to redeem us from being slaves to sin. John 8 verse 31 said, you know, anyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. But Jesus said, he who the Son sets free will be free indeed. Accept the work that Jesus did on the cross. Accept the price that he paid. That you will no longer be a slave. But he paid the price for you to walk free and be free indeed. Amen. And then the last, Jesus in his last breath said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. Jesus died very quickly. He lost a lot of blood. A lot of crucifixions could last days before the people died. But Jesus gave up his spirit in that moment. He said, it is finished. The work is done. Now I release my spirit into the hands of my Father. But you know what's great about this is that it's not just talking about Jesus dying. The last words that Jesus spoke again, he is quoting from Psalm 31. Psalm 31 was a psalm written by David. And in that psalm, David says these very words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. But that whole psalm would have meant something different. It was a psalm that Jewish tradition tells us was a prayer that mothers used to pray over their children and get them to pray. And I believe that Psalm 31 tells us this is more than just when I die, I commit my spirit. This whole psalm is about committing my spirit to God while I'm alive in the midst of everything I go through. That we can, like Jesus, say, Father, I commit myself into your hands, knowing that you are good to me. Can I close by reading the scripture, Psalm 31, that Jesus quoted from? In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. I want you to speak this over yourself this morning. No matter what you're going through, no matter where you are. No matter what little place or big place you might be dwelling in right now, it is in the Lord that we need to take refuge. And as I take refuge, let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead me and guide me. Keep me free from every trap that the enemy has set for me. Because you are my refuge. And as he says that, he closes with this. So into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. So friends, as we look at all of these things that Jesus said and did on the cross, I hope it's encouraging to you. 
that the things that Jesus said and did are to release a power into your lives today that is just as relevant today, that we are secure in him. And I want us to remember who Jesus was, what he did and why he did it. The message of the gospel. One of the founders of our Every Nation movement across the world, Dr. Rice Brooks, he said this, one of the most succinct statements of the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God became a man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving he is the son of God, offering the gift of salvation to everyone who repents and believes the gospel. I call upon every one of you watching right now. If you have not received what Jesus did, if you have not repented and said, I believe in Jesus and that work, I encourage you to do that now. And if you have done that, I encourage you to take the words that Jesus released on the cross and draw on them and receive the comfort and the presence and the grace and the anointing that comes with them in Jesus' name. Father, I bless every person as we go from this place that as we receive these words that you spoke, Jesus, and the power and the relevance that comes with them, that our homes and our hearts would be deeply impacted by these. We choose today to celebrate that you have done this for us, knowing that Sunday is coming, that you have risen from the dead, and that no matter how dark, no matter how many things we might be going through, victory is on the other side. In Jesus' name, God bless you. As we've listened to this great message on Jesus' statements on the cross, we want to take time to take communion. I'm reminded of the account in Luke 22 of when Jesus instituted the Last Supper and what has now become communion for us. He said, the Bible says this, and when the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And by this, he was saying that when we take off communion, it's, it's more than just simply eating bread and drinking juice or wine in remembrance of him, that it's something that symbolizes what was actually accomplished in the kingdom to bring the kingdom through Jesus Christ, that his body was broken and his blood was shed to inaugurate something new, something great, something incredible on this earth. And as we take of it, we are in awe and gratitude of the incredible victory that he brought about and the incredible change and the incredible possibilities that are now ours in the light of the fact that a new kingdom has come, a new day has begun, that the world has been made new and our opportunity of having access to God has been realized. He goes on in verse 19 and he says, and he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so as we remember Jesus by eating of the bread, we also drink of the wine or the juice or whatever you have in your home with you. And we remember it or we, we acknowledge that this was, this was his blood poured out as a covenant to us. Not only is there a new kingdom inaugurated, but there is a new covenant that we enter into in Jesus Christ. In other words, as you drink of this wine, as you eat of this bread, you're saying yes to an eternal covenant, the new covenant of Jesus. You're saying, yes, I align myself with Jesus. I give up everything to be with him. 
I give up everything to be in his covenant. And as, as I do, uh, he becomes my God. He becomes my Lord. He takes over the lordship and the rulership of my life. I would love you where you are to just go ahead and take communion with your family as you take the bread. Lord, I pray over this as they take this bread, as they break it between them, Lord God, we just pray, Lord God, that you would you would help them to, to experience your kingdom in a new way, Lord God. Father God, what you did on the cross, let it become a reality in their lives, Lord God. As they take, as you take of it, won't you just take some time to ask God for more of his kingdom manifested in your life, more of his kingdom manifested in your relationships, in your home, in your household. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Go ahead and take of that bread. And then I just want to pray for, pray over the wine or the juice that you are taking. Lord, I just pray, Lord God, that as they as they are um, drinking of this juice, Lord God, we remember the new covenant that you brought to pass through the breaking of your body and the shedding of your blood. And Lord God, we ask that you would you would cause us to see the fullness of this covenant. Lord God, we choose right now to forsake everything for the sake of being in you, Lord God, that you are everything to us. You have become our Lord, our Savior, our best friend, our closest, closest companion. And Lord God, we want to thank you for that. We want to thank you for the covenant that you've brought us into. In Jesus' name, amen.